he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. de tous, pas ma faute si t'as craqué pour moi la première fois, je briserai. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Bolotify, the one and only podcast about event entertainment and engagement. I am Anthony Bolotta and I'm here as I am every week with the one and only Bolotophile, Alex Apostolidis. Hey Alex. Hey. So, all of today's music, Miss Alex, is going to be different. It's going to be the music of Miss Marty Amato, our guest today. That is awesome. Isn't it? I'm really excited too. Well, this is the week that we uh, we have the home start uh, broadcast the blue ribbon broadcast for bright futures on Saturday. So we're going to be winding all of that up, all of the planning up on that and have some rehearsals this week and some read throughs of the script. And, uh, so it's the beginning of May and, uh, five days before that event that we're looking forward to. And, uh, that's it. It's a beautiful day out after kind of an interesting May 2nd here in San Diego, it rained again and was cool and and breezy and I loved it it was weird for me because yesterday was my Easter it was Orthodox Easter not that I did anything special I scrubbed my house all day but you know so I guess a good day for it to be rainy but I always like when Easter Sunday is bright and sunny and happy yeah I do too because you know, it's just there's something about that holiday that sort of mm-hmm. beckons for a bright, sh- sunny, new morning. <laughs> That's the idea, right? Yep. But I'm you know, so- on the bright side, I got my house clean. So you did get your house clean, right? And it will feel house. really good for a few days, and then, <laughs> and then I'll clean it again. Before you know, you're going to feel like it needs to be cleaned again. You know, when I was a kid, my mother would not let us sit on the bed after she made it because it would wrinkle it, obviously. She was so meticulous. But now that she is, God bless her, almost 90, she could care, she couldn't care less if the house was clean or not. Because I think you just get to the point in life where you've cleaned it so many goddamn times that you just don't want to do it again. And you know it's just futile because within a few days, the dust will appear. That's why my ultimate fantasy is to have a maid twice a week. I like that fantasy. Mine is to have a live-in in a cottage. (laughs) She comes in, she prepares breakfast, she cleans up, she, you know, washes, she leaves, she comes back, she does dinner. It's just, it sounds heavenly. Yours is a she, mine's a he. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's better (laughs) that we have a she here. We don't need any more testosterone in this house. That's for sure. So I don't, I don't even think we have to waste any time. You want to bring her out? Let's bring her out. 
So she attended the music school at Northwestern University, and her goal was to become a concert pianist. And she's classically trained as a pianist, arranger, and singer. But she quickly realized that she needed a more social career. And uh, she took an internship, which brought her into commercial studios, watching producers and arrangers work with Chicago symphony players. And that's how she discovered her passion. That's how she, that, that directed her career. Uh, so she's an arranger producer, a composer and lyricist. She considers herself a musical conduit and translator bringing her client's musical vision to life. So please let's welcome the amazing and wonderful Miss Marty Amato. Hello, Marty. Isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? How are you all? Hi there. Hi. How are you? Good. Good Thank to you see for you joining virtually. Us yes. Yes. It hasn't been so long, but it always feels like a long time between oh, no. our visits. You Too know, long. Too long. So uh, we've set you up with a beautiful introduction. But what we didn't say is that we've worked together on several occasions, uh, building songs and uh, producing them and then bringing them to performance. And so I just wanted to throw that caveat in. So as a composer, lyricist, musician, pianist, arranger, I mean, you do it all musically. Um, what is it you love about it? What oh drives gosh. you? How long do you have? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just give us, give us, give us what you need to give us. The thumbnail. Well, so as you know, because we've worked together a long time, I absolutely love my work. Love it. I'm one of the lucky ones that really wanted to do this. I went to music school, um, got a music degree, and this is exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in the studio with studio musicians. I wanted to compose. I love to arrange. I wanted to arrange. I love working with singers. I wanted to work with singers. And so that's what I get to do. And I love that my job is varied. Every day is different in the studio, depending on what we're working on. Um, I do have a home studio, which is where I am right now, mm -hmm. and have record capabilities at home. And I would say even pre-COVID, I did about 75% of my work from home anyways. Um, so even my work at home is extremely varied. And I love that it's always something different. I love the collaborative nature of it. I love, I mean, I'm so lucky. I get to work with such nice people. Most of my clients become friends. Many of the studio musicians become friends. I, I work with very few jerks. <laughs> so I'm really lucky. And I just, you know, people ask, well, if you won a million dollars and could do anything, what would you do? And I always say this exactly what I'm doing right now. That's I'd buy great. real estate. I don't know. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, just buy real estate. Have, an, have yeah. another studio somewhere, maybe. Maybe. So, you know, I think that, you know, we've just said all of the things that you do, but the, the one umbrella title that sort of incorporates all of those things is producer. You are a, an album producer, record producer. And I think that term is not well understood. So just in layman terms, what is it you do as a producer? Good question. 
So a music producer, I like to compare to a film director. So a music producer is the person who makes sure that everybody is on the same page in terms of the creative vision um, and comes in with an artistic vision and then brings the right team of people together to help contribute to that vision. And of course, there's always room for other people's creative ideas for the vision too, but make sure that we stay on track. Um, and it's interesting because it's very much a creative role, but it's also a business role. I mean, there's two hats that always have to be worn as you know, Anthony, in your work, is that the, the arranger creative producer in my head is always at war with the financial producer because the financial producer is always watching the clock going, oh, geez, we only budgeted for 15 more minutes. We got to finish, but we're getting these great takes and I don't want to stop. So, but that's, that's basically it in a nutshell. So you have a lot of dialogues going on in your head, right? Uh, you've got to produce it and yes. create it. Yep. Uh, so talk about, if you would, um, we listened before we did this broadcast uh, to your before and after samples, and so cool. I believe that you've sent some to Dandelo to share with the audience. Um, and what we're talking about is, the, is what Marty has on her website is, is the before sample of a song that's brought to her by an artist. sample what she actually did the production that it went through sound that is right. actually created based on on that creative so right uh how, where do you find the inspiration and how do you determine what feel is right for a song what brings you there so it's always been a very intuitive process for me um i started composing very young i was like i don't know 13 when i started writing songs and i was playing piano from the time i was a young child uh, and I started arranging and really loving arranging work when I was in college in music school. And so for me, it's always been a really intuitive process. Um, so I do, I would say about half of my work is artist production where independent artists, sometimes bands, but more often singer songwriters will come to me with a song. Um, sometimes they play an instrument, sometimes they don't. 
and they're looking for help to arrange and produce their music and record it in the studio. That's about half of my work. The other half of my work is creating original music for film, television, advertising, corporate clients, you know, corporate stage shows like you guys have done, Anthony, um, and doing original music in that venue, sometimes instrumental, sometimes vocal, depending on what's needed. Um, but in both cases, I take, as you know, a lot of creative input up front about what the ultimate goal is for the music, right? So I have my little, my, I have one of those funny brains that goes, right? Business, creative, business, creative. Mm -hmm. So loud in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right? But so I take yes. a, a lot of input up front about what's the ultimate goal? Who's your audience? Who's going to hear this? Is it going to be a CD that you're just giving to your family for Christmas? Or do you want to release this and you want it to sound radio ready? And then we talk a lot about um, emotional goals, right? What is the emotion that this piece of music, you ultimately want people to feel inspired, touched, you know, rowdy and revved up, woohoo! Uh, or what is it? So we get a handle on the emotional content that the song really needs to have in the arrangement and production. Um, and then we also talk a lot up front about references. I use references in my work a lot because music is very subjective. And when we start talking about music and you know, I say to you, well, we should make it funky. Well, what does that mean? Funky to you might mean earth, wind, and fire. And funky to me means Bruno Mars and funky to Alex means something completely different. So it's very helpful. I always ask for artists, clients to bring several pieces of music um, and you know, a YouTube link or an iTunes reference of something that they like and that they can envision their music going in a similar direction because that's very helpful. Then we have something concrete that we're both working from so, so I start from this highly structured place of getting all this information. Then I go in my studio and I put on my headphones and I sort of just show up and pay attention to the music and what it wants. And it kind of speaks to me. And then it just becomes very free flowing and it just starts coming together. And I get the ideas. It's like, you know, I tell people for me, it's a, it feels like a very spiritual connection for me it's god for some people it's the universe or creative flow or whatever you want to call it but it's like i never feel like the ideas come from me i feel like they come through me mm -hmm. I, I love that i sit there and i listen and i have the music in front of me and i'm playing it and i go i can totally hear a cello playing that line i'm gonna try cello and then i try cello and you know that's kind of how it builds from there so you say it's an intuitive process and, and I've worked with you and I, I can't disagree, but I'd love to know how much of your training enables you or enables the intuitive process. Because you, you I should yeah. preface the question by saying, you're not about one style at all. Mm -mm. You, well, you, the, yeah, that's yeah. true. I'm a chameleon just, and I was a little, yes. I, all the stuff I sent to Angela, it's like, oh my gosh, total schizophrenic in her style because <laughs> it's all over the place.
that's wonderful though. That's so great, you know, because you're not a, you're a one-stop shop basically, and that you can do anything and everything. Well, and I, my caveat with that is I have wonderful collaborators that I bring in on a freelance basis um, or that are their own businesses, but I have amazing collaborators Mm -hmm. that I work with and I wouldn't use the same primer mixer for a hip hop dance tune that I would use for a, a acoustic jazz piece with a live trio. It just depends what's called for. Um, so what was, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> sorry. How, how does your training yes. enable yes. you, do you think? Yes, excellent question. So the training <laughs> is useful. The training is like the foundation, right? And I I have an undergraduate degree from Northwestern University School of Music. I took all the theory and the ear training and the music history. And I studied Bach and Bartok and all that stuff. And then I took big band arranging and choral conducting and advertising and all kinds of interesting things. So I have all that music theory stuff in my toolkit. Do I pull it out all the time when I'm sitting and working? No. I I mostly, I'm very lucky because I had two parents that were very musical. My father played piano almost exclusively by ear. And my Mm. mother was a trained musician and has a master's degree in choral conducting. So I got both sides of it, which is really lucky. Some producers work all by ear and they're amazing. Some producers work all by written music and they're amazing. I'm able to do both. And when I sit down with a piece of music, I typically go by gut and by ear what sounds good. If I get stuck, that's when the training comes in handy. Like, what is that chord? What, what is that? Why can't I figure out what sounds <laughs> good with that? And then I'll break it down and it's like, oh, that's an A minor seven flat five with an add 11. Oh, okay, I need an F sharp in that. And that's when I pull out the tools and go, oh, this is what needs to happen here. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because, because music is logical. It makes sense. Well, it is, and it, it, it's both. It's logical, and then it's very, it, it, it's very intuitive, and it, it appeals to my analytical brain, and it, it appeals to my mm-hmm. creative brain. Yes, um, and the way that it plays out for a client is really uh, rather advantageous because uh, your creative mind uh, is present always when those decisions need to be made, but your business mind is ever present in keeping the piece moving along in a timely fashion. As you said earlier, it's one of the things that you do. It's one of the things that you do exceedingly well. (laughs) Thank you. You're well, really... it's, it's a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, there, there are yes, the, the, like constant, the constant bickering goes on in my head about, you know, the business and the, the creative, but I don't take for granted. There are many extremely creatively gifted musicians that just don't have business gifts. And it's difficult for them to run their business as a business. And I'm fortunate that I can do both. Yes, and it takes a certain, not only uh, knowledge, but a certain kind of attitude as well. Uh, as, a, as a business person, 
There are times that it will call on your patience and ah. your the need for you to uh, step beyond your limits of understanding yeah. and go further to try to understand what's happening because there are so many layers affecting the work. And that's just the nature of working with people and yeah, working oh, with big companies. <laughs> absolutely. And there, as you know, there's also a fair amount of psychology involved, right? Mm -hmm. In all that. Mm -hmm. So you get into the studio and I've done this for a long time. I've done this for over 25 years. I've had my own business and I've worked with every kind of artist, singer, pianist, instrumentalist imaginable in many cities. I've worked in Nashville. I've worked in Chicago. I've worked in LA. I've worked in San Diego and studios in all of those cities with some of the most gifted people in the world, literally, I, I really feel I've been so lucky. And most the great majority of those talents that I work with are really cool people. That's sort of a criteria that I have for my business. There's a lot of talented mm -hmm. people out there. Can I say a bad word in this interview? It's slightly bad, <laughs> slightly not. Yeah. Okay. Yes. A little blue. Go ahead. So that's one of my rules is there are a lot of talented people out there. I don't hire assholes. I don't. And it, it only takes one session where somebody has an attitude, right? Or they mm -hmm. aren't, they, they're grumpy or they're whatever. And I'm just, and, and I'm not even going to name any names, but there are people who are very good musicians that are not my first call for that reason. Mm -hmm. They can't get out of their way. Yeah. And I want yeah. it always to be a fun vibe, right? Because, and, and it takes psychology to handle all different sorts of clients, different temperaments, different needs. Um, but I always want the studio to be at the same time, very efficient, but fun, right? Because when we're having mm -hmm. fun is when we make something really cool. Yeah. People yes. aren't free and if they're tense and right. stressed, you know, exactly. not free to create. Absolutely not. And as a producer, that is one of the uh, responsibilities that falls on your shoulders that most people do not get or understand. And it's basically your responsibility to make sure that the feeling in that studio remains copacetic and uh, favorable to getting it done and people walking away happy. Uh, yeah. You set the tone. And so yeah. get that you wouldn't work, want to work with anybody who disrupts that understand completely. Plus you're in a very small space yeah. and it's a group, it's a communal, music is a communal art form, right? Unless you're a concert pianist right. or, you know, you're bringing people together in the creation of something and everybody has to gel. Oh yeah. Or yeah, it's very, the harmony of the situation, right? Everybody needs to feel good and feel like their ideas are important. And, and it's fun. We, you know, cause we've been in the studio. We laugh a lot. The studio mm -hmm. players, we, we laugh a lot with them, not to the point where we're not getting things done, but it makes it seem like a joy, right. To be in there. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a crazy question maybe, but do you, do you see it reflected in the work? Oh yeah. Do you feel it reflected in the work even after the fact? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can. Interesting. Yeah. I just feel like laughter, right? 
laughter, good vibes, everybody being happy, people relax. And I mean, there's a very physical rhythmic aspect to, to playing music or singing. And, and Alex is right. If you're very tense or grumpy, or you think someone doesn't like you, or you're not performing well, or they're pissed or whatever, it's going to come across in the performance of the music. So for sure. I'm glad to hear it. It's a, it's a good argument <laughs> for, it's a logical argument for having a, a good space, yeah, good vibes sure. in the space. I mean, for I don't sure. understand if you're blessed enough, especially as a musician artist, right? You're blessed enough to be working and making a living and to have people like you call, hey, I need you, I need you. How could you be anything but grateful and joyful? So I don't understand when people who are getting the work, getting the calls, who are divas and who are less than a joy. I don't think it's intentional. And it could be me. It could be some people just gel really great with other producers, but they think I'm a pain in the ass and that's fine. That's okay. <laughs> you know, we, not everybody, it's like dating. Right. Not everybody gets along. That's all right. Right. I, I agree. I don't know that it's intentional, but um, I, I feel that people just get in their own way, that they either don't understand the, uh, like I said, one time, my energy is, is definitely, you know, more powerful than I think it is. And when I'm in a pissy mood, people feel it. There are uh, musicians like that as well, and they don't realize that they're bottling up all of this crap and they bring it everywhere they go and they sit down and they think they're being lovely, but they're not because they've got all yeah. this crap. Yeah. So uh, yeah. they just kick and it I out just, of their own way. I just do the best I can to spread the love. I mean, literally, I'm, I try to be funny mm -hmm. in the studio. I mean, you know what I mean? I joke with people. I'm very generous with praise and encouragement for everyone in the studio yes. because we all perform better when we feel like we're being appreciated for what we're doing, right? And even when you are, uh, when you're critiquing something or giving notes, you're, you're even kind in the way that you deliver those notes, uh, you know? I uh, try. Oh, the pitch was a little bit under, you know, it's never like, oh, your pitch is terrible. You know, it's just, you <laughs> could just work on that. You know, there's always very, very, that aids the process. Makes yeah, people yeah feel it does. It right? absolutely does. One of the nicest comments I ever got was from Berkeley Hart. I don't know if you guys know Kelman Hart and Jeff Berkeley are a wonderful Americana duo, have been around a long, long time in, in San Diego. And I produced their debut album, Reckon So, in 2000. So good heavens, 20 years wow. ago. Yeah, right. And one of the biggest compliments I got from them was that the studio experience they had with me was the least stressful, most fun studio experience. And that I had a knack for recognizing the bad ideas and pointing them out tactfully, yes. but also recognizing the good ideas and bringing them into the process, which was, that was a great compliment. Yes. We worked on something recently. We've worked on a few things, but uh, in 2019, we brought a project to you, the Christmas Waltz. You loved we wanted, it. We loved it. We had a great so time. And we brought in an arranger, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Wayne Barker. And yes, tell us about that. So we had an arranger in there and, you know, we had people who are non-singers come into the studio as well uh, to record a piece. 
so I'm, I'm curious to know what your, your impressions of that experience was. So very fun. This was the old, the Christmas waltz that did who, uh, Doris Day, did she record it? Am I right? It's been recorded by tons of people from Sinatra to Tony Bennett to, I don't know if Doris Day has a recording of it, but- uh, Karen Carpenter, did she record yes, it? Okay. Karen Carpenter. Mm -hmm. So it's a standard, it's a classic Christmas tune. And Anthony came to me and wanted to do a customized arrangement and production as a special project for a lot of clients. And his friend was the arranger and really talented arranger and did a bunch of arranging work at home on the piece. And then Anthony and the arranger came to my studio and we actually laid down a piano part and a customized conductor click track because there were multiple tempo changes. It was actually a fairly complex mm -hmm. arrangement and complex tune. So they came over, we laid down, we figured out how to do the piano, a customized conductor click track. Um, and then I booked, I contracted the musicians. We had a live jazz trio and a trumpet, a jazz trumpet player. We hired uh, Anthony sang, I sang, and then we hired two studio singers. So we had four ringers, so to speak, in there mm -hmm. that did a Manhattan transfer style vocal jazz quartet. And I kind of facilitated everything in the studio with the players and the singers and brought the, contracted the engineer in the studio time. We all came in, we worked and did the recording. We had pre-laid a few things down in advance, which I often do. Um, had a wonderful fun day and then had some singers that were wonderful singers, but just not used to doing tons of studio work um, that Anthony brought in to do like a big group sing at the at the end of the day. And it was fabulous. It just turned out great. It was so much fun and everything sounded so great. And then we mixed it that night. We, if you recall, we had a few technical hip, hiccups with Pro Tools. Oh, yes. Was right. not our friend. Pro Tools was not no. our friend that night. Mm -hmm. So we had to do, yes, we had to do a little frantic, yes. But we got it all back on track and got Pro Tools whipped back into shape. And I thought it was just a rousing success. Love the arrangement and mm -hmm. great fun. It turned out to be so much bigger and better than I imagined it would be. And uh, it was delightful for us. I, I'd like Alex to talk to the experience because that was part of what we were doing was, you know, I wanted the staff to be a part of this and I wanted my staff to come into the studio, some of whom, as you mentioned, had never been in one before and I had that experience. Alex has been in the studio. She's, she's well aware of what that feels like, but I'm still curious to know how you felt about that experience well what was really fun for me because i i was a little nervous coming in and again I, i've been performing since i was 13 and i've been in studios and i'm a vo actor all of that so it wasn't the performing part that scared me except for you know i was looking at some some things for the first time but i have worked in many situations that weren't pleasant that weren't fun and i also know as a, a voiceover artist that time is money so when you're in the studio, you, you have to you have to be on it. 
And so there's always that little element of, of, you know, frantic and a little, you know, am I going to be able to do it? You know, it was so much fun. I had the best day. I actually didn't want it to end. I could have stayed there for hours because that's my happy place. You know, let's just keep rehearsing. Let's keep trying new things. Let's just keep doing it. So, and, and then when we got to do the voiceover part, when we were doing the scripting stuff and it was just all off the cuff and it was being created right there on the spot because we were having so much fun and we were so free, all of it just came out. It, 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 mm-hmm. There was no nerves. There was no, oh, did I say the right thing? I shouldn't have, you know, I never felt like that. I never had... And I want to second guess myself a lot. I never for a second, second guessed myself in that situation. You guys were great. I remember the engineer, Mike, commenting how good the spontaneous dialogue stuff was that you guys had done. He's like, these guys are all pros. They know what they're doing. It's that time of year when the world falls in love. Every song you hear seems to say, happy holiday. And may all your dreams come true. Happy New Year, too. Oh, come on. That can't be everyone. Alex, are you in uh, here? I'm coming. I have the eggnog. I don't want to spill it. Oh, it's going to be so good. Don't spill the eggnog. His Andrew's with you, right? Oh, oh, I'm right here, too. I have those sugar cookies. That's what I smell. Hey, I have the tree looking. Oh, it's going great. I just put the star on top of the tree. Oh, it's going to be so pretty. I bet it will. Hey, Daniel's helping you, right? Oh, no. I'm actually making some hot cocoa. You guys want some? Oh, that sounds great. Cup of cocoa. Got it's it. my Cups. favorite. Hey, has anybody seen D'Angelo? I can't find my wig. It's behind your other wig where I told you. I can't see past these wings. Everybody sing. That was such a stroke of luck because <laughs> it was the one piece. We we had not really thought, okay, what, what are we going to say here? And so we just started rambling on and it did work out. Um, then just to sort of put a uh, an ending on the story, we came back to you in 2020 because uh, we wanted to redo the speaking part of the song and send it out again, feeling like a lot of people really hadn't heard it yet. So we did that and the, the studio experience was different because of COVID. Uh, the first time we were all in one studio. Um, the second time we were all in different studios, smaller studios, we were, we were set apart from each other for safety. Uh, and it felt different. It was a little bit harder to do because we were further apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is COVID kind of screwed with the studio format altogether. How did you get through COVID last year and how did it change your business? Well, as I said before, because I do probably 75% of my work at home anyways, pre-COVID, and I have full record capabilities, that's really fortunate, right? So my working style wasn't changed that much. Um, I did have a handful of studio sessions in the studio with clients who wanted to do that. And we were very careful. We talked with the studio about their protocols They were doing touchless temperature checks and questionnaires for everybody who came in. And they definitely had a limit on the number of people who could be in the performance room at the same time. I think it was like three or four. And this is like a giant, this is a performance room that a 60 piece orchestra could be in. And Mm -hmm. we recorded like a three or four piece rhythm section in there. So there's plenty of room. People were spread out. The players that didn't have to sing wore masks if they wanted to wear masks. 
Um, and in the control room, it was just the three of us, the client, the engineer, and myself. And we were spread out as well. Um, so the trickiest bit is the singing, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. um, because yes. singing is considered a higher risk activity because you're basically blowing air and spitting on each other. I mean, not intentionally, but, but it is, I mean, that's makes what we're it doing. sound so pretty. Right. right basically. <laughs> so glamorous. Yeah. Carol Channing did spit on me once though. Mid song. Lucky you. I'll Lucky just say. you. I hope you didn't ever wash that cheek. <laughs> uh, to this day. <laughs> yeah. Go on. I'm yeah. sorry. No, it's all right. It's actually so, tattooed. Carol was here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. But yeah, that's that's been the trickiest thing is singing. And fortunately, many professional studio singers have a small recording set up at home. So we were able to do a lot of things remotely and virtually where a singer would put a part down and another singer would stack to it at home. And we would, I mean, obviously that's not ideal, but it does work. We were able to work in that way. And then I've had a couple of vocal sessions with a small group of singers. There were three of us. Well, two of them had COVID already. So they had antibodies. I was the only one who hadn't had COVID. So mm. it wasn't a big, I mean, they, the two of them were on a mic together and I was on my own mic and the studio disinfects the pop filters, the screens that are in mm -hmm. front of the microphones and all the headphones after every session, they're using special disinfectants and stuff like that. So, you know, just a, a bit more cautious, but yeah, there's, there's no substitute for getting people in the same room to sing together. Mm. No. There isn't, there's no substitute getting people in the same room to do a myriad of things. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's just no substitute, right? For sure. So um, you also derive work from uh, composing, uh, as I understand it, for royalty-free music sites. No, not, uh, not correct exactly. Um, I have been a contributing composer for a couple of very high quality production music libraries. One is based in Europe um, and one is actually under the Universal Music umbrella in LA. And I contribute regularly to two of their production music libraries. They are not royalty free um, by, again, not being 100% on that term, but they're those folks have a whole sales team where they license the music and users pay a license fee for their particular usage. And then as a composer, I actually receive a share of the licensing fees in most cases. And then I also receive performance royalties, which are generated when music is played uh, for broadcast in this country and abroad on television. So if something's played on a major network or a cable channel or a TV commercial, or now also I get royal backend royalties for things that are played on YouTube hmm. and have been working on building up my catalog of this type of music, original music for a very long time, 25 years doing that. And I have now gotten to the point, especially, I mean, gosh, because of COVID last year, I have a young child who's in elementary school, still is not in-person full-time. I had to be much more hands-on with my son. And so I, the hours that I was able to work last year were very slim, very, very mm -hmm. slim. And I mean, I took like 
over the last year, 2019 to 2020, I took like a $20,000 loss in income because of all that. I mean, that's right. Yes. However, that said, because I've built my royalty catalog, I have like 300 songs in my catalog that are being sold all over the world and used for various things all the time. And I got to the point like five or six years ago where my passive royalty income is greater than my 1099 income. That's terrific. Which is helpful when you have a year like last year. Yes. Yeah. So the two uh, music licensing services, I'm going to call them, that you use, they're separate from BM, uh, BMA and ASCAP. Yeah, BMI and ASCAP. BMI, excuse me. No, that's excuse okay. Me. They're performance rights organizations and composers belong to one or the other. And there's a third one mm -hmm. called CSAC. I belong right. to BMI. I'm a BMI composer. I also have a BMI publishing company. Um, love my BMI publishing company. It's called Beanstalk Rising. That's my publishing company. In any event, BMI, ASCAP, and CSAC, it is their job to track, monitor, and collect on music for composers that's used here and abroad um, and then pay out directly to the composers. The two production music libraries that I work for actually have a large catalog of music and group of composers that are regularly putting out new music in many, many different styles. And they are a go-to for ad clients, TV, film, industrials, all sorts of things, where if they maybe don't have the budget for an original piece of music to be created, they'll go to the production music library they only get to use it for one specific thing. And it, you know, isn't an exclusive usage, but they pay for a one-time use, which is less expensive than creating original music. And is it, is it easier than going through BMI or ASCAP or CSAC? Is, is that why companies are doing it? Is it less expensive to license through? Well, if I, I don't know if BMI, CSAC and ASCAP license directly. I think what they do is they offer blanket licenses like to venues where they mm -hmm. pay for a blanket license and then they can have performed whether like over speakers or live band or whatever any songs that are in BMI and ASCAP's catalog so they they pay for a blanket license. This would be more for a very specific like oh I need a old school like jazz swing tune that sounds like it was recorded in the 1940s and you know, certain libraries are known for specialties and they go to the library that has that and then they license it for specifically for use in an episode of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And it's used for one episode and they're charged a specific rate for that. And then when the piece of music is actually, so then the, the, the production company for Mrs. Maisel or whoever the clan is, pays the licensing fee to the production music library company. And then in many cases that's shared with the composer and sometimes it's not and there's other monies in lieu of that. But then when it actually airs, then BMI and ASCAP and CSAC track when it aired, how long was the piece of music used for a minute or 20 seconds or 15 seconds? Did they use lyrics or just the instrumental portion? And it's very complex, all different rate structures based on what's used. 
they figure all that out. They take a small percentage and then they distribute to the composer. So they're two completely separate uh, entities and types of revenue streams for composers. Well, it's interesting because uh, first of all, I'd like to ask you when you're when you're licensing a piece of music through one of these agencies, what you're doing with that music also impacts the price. I would assume. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Right. So if it's yeah. being broadcast, it's going to be a different fee than if you're just using it at a live event, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the upside is that it's much less expensive than creating something original and custom. But the downside is there's no exclusivity. There's no like tying it only to your brand. You know what I mean? It's like, well, you mm -hmm. might license it for your commercial for baby food, but tomorrow it's going to be used for dog food. I mean, there's no, you know right. what I mean? You don't own it. Yeah. You're licensing yeah. it for a specific reason, purpose, goal, right? Yeah. You don't own it. And it's non-exclusive. And it's non-exclusive. It's interesting uh, because BMI and ASCAP have, have become um, agencies of concern, if you will, for the people in the event world because they inserted themselves into the event world easily 10 years ago now. Hmm. Uh, be, due to all of the unlicensed music that is played at events, corporate events, association, down the line. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's still some, I think, some question as to if a hotel or venue has a blanket uh, license, and they all do, whether it includes what happens in their ballrooms and when somebody comes in and is using music for something specific to my thinking it does not it only includes mm. the replay of songs mm -hmm. uh, i do not know that is way above my pay grade I <laughs> <No. don't know. laughs> but but what you do know is if there is doubt then licensing yeah uh, a, a piece of music for something is the way to go through one of these services. You're paying for it in advance, but you're not paying as much as you would if you've created something custom. Create, and, yeah, it, correct. Right, or original, excuse me. Yeah. And we have done the original piece and it's, yep. it's definitely not something cheap. And yep. I would say, I'm just gonna say it's a, usually a $10,000 commitment or more, I would yep. say as a yep. benchmark. Typical. Um, Typical, right? Once you orchestrate well, if there's it. there's vocals, and, yeah, absolutely. Right. If there's vocals. Instrumental pieces can be less expensive, but right. yeah, vocals. But but when you think about uh, creating a piece of original work, you often, well, at least in the event world, if you're creating something unique and you're putting that much money towards it, then you want it to have real weight and veracity. Mm -hmm. And so likely you're going to have a lot of musicians, or you're going to have a, a, a vocal a harmonic track that's in there. So likely it's going to have those components because you want that flavor. You want something big, right? Yeah. In the, in the event world in particular, I would assume it's not the, the type of world that you guys are in and you're doing stage shows, you're doing events, you want impact. You right. want big impact. You're not looking for subtle backgroundy, whatever you no. want big impact. Exactly. And in, in fact, the subtle background music shouldn't be original. It should be yeah. 
you know, music that people know and like, because that yeah. helps to, right, make people more at ease. But you're absolutely right. When you're creating something for events, the idea is to have impact to move people in some way. Uh, so it is a, a bit of a different animal. So you've mm -hmm. worked with solo performers and you've worked in the corporate world. You've created music. You've composed music for other people. Yes. Which is harder? Hmm. They have different challenges. Yes. Um, so when I'm creating original music for either my production music library clients or I even I have a really cool guy up in San Francisco who's an independent film director and I've done a bunch of music for him directly for his films it's been really fun working with him he he found me just found me randomly on the internet which is completely crazy but we hit it off great and I've done two of his films um so creating original music has its own challenges because well you're starting from nothing first of all you're starting from the ground up right um you know i have a reference i have you know emotional goals for the music in place but i'm starting with silence <laughs> you know what i mean i'm sitting down and i'm starting with silence and it's creating everything whether i do it alone or whether i bring in a collaborator it's like Okay, well, we're gonna start, what are we gonna start with? Are we gonna start with a piano track? Are we gonna start with a vocal melody and the lyric? Are we gonna start with a vocal guitar? We start with something as the foundation and then we build from there. And I have done projects, in fact, that um, the video link that I sent you guys to the saboteur, the French gypsy swing song with French vocals. Mm. I mean, so fun. One of my favorite things I've ever produced and it was placed in an EA Games video game, The Saboteur, which was amazing. I mean, I lost a lot of hair on that project. It was like, it was so much work because creating original music, recording very specialized players, gypsy swing and like Django stylists. Mm -hmm. This is very specific. I mean, fortunately, mm -hmm. I know a wonderful guy who's like one of the best in the world. He's amazing. But building the tracks up in a very specific genre, I had written the lyrics in English and the melodies you know, track the scratch vocals. Then I had to hire a dude who was a Paris native to translate the lyrics into French. And oh, by the way, he showed up and they didn't rhyme. I'm like, dude, they got to at least sort of rhyme. So then we're on the spot, like trying to make the French lyrics kind of rhyme. And then we have a girl who's singing the final vocal and he and I are coaching her to sing in French, which she can do phonetically. Well, suffice to say, this was like a humongous task, mm -hmm. very labor intensive, hundreds of hours, <laughs> I mean, literally on this project. Um, so it's, it's quite an undertaking. And those gypsy swing tunes also, everything was charted for all the players. I did all the charting and translated it to computer notation. I mean, I had clarinet parts charted, fiddle parts charted, guitar parts charted. It's a lot of work to prep mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, out so of there's nothing. that, out of nothing. You start out with air, nothing. 
you start with air and you end up with something. And the, on the other side, when singer songwriters come to the table, they, they bring something right. And I'm very honest. Like if somebody brings me a song that I just don't click with, I'll just say, I don't think I'm the right producer. I'm not the right arranger for you. Let me try to connect you with somebody else. Um, but if I'm inspired and I like the song and I like their voice, at least I've got something concrete to start with that sort of starts the shape of the vision. And then I start adding things around it. Um, so it's, that's helpful. Um, and the artists are, you know, contribute a lot. So I'm not kind of doing all the labor myself. It's more of a collaborative process, but you know, that's a great thing, but then you also have another person in the mix, which mm -hmm. is great. And also, but then necessitates compromise and back and forth. And, so there's it, not that that's a bad thing, but that's just a part of the process that's different. In a way, I, I think often that collaboration yields better work than strictly totally solo stuff, but you know, they're just different. And um, when you're working with say somebody like me and I've got other people that I am, you know, having to get approvals from, how does that impact you or does it at all? Do you consider that a oh, part yeah. of it? Oh yeah, and that's something I always try to find out upfront is who is the ultimate decision maker on this? Because mm -hmm. like in your case, you may get to have a lot of input but you may not have the final say. If one of your clients hates something, that's that, right? Absolutely. So I try to find out what those parameters are upfront so I know who we're trying to please ultimately right and and it may the, I think the hardest thing for me is like with working with with you or someone like you is very frequently I have no direct contact with your client mm -hmm. That's so right. I don't and I'm very intuitive I vibe out on people right so <laughs> so it's like in one phone call I can tell pretty quick what they're gonna like and what they're not gonna like but that is not always possible and so fortunately, you're very good at translating and conveying what the client's hot buttons are, what they're going to dig, what they're not going to like. And that's really helpful, but not everybody is as good at conveying that. And that's, that's probably the most painful circumstance that doesn't happen that often is I have no access to the person who's making the decision and the in-between person is not that great at conveying. And that mm -hmm. makes it really hard. Yes, I can't. I can imagine it does. Uh, because in my world, I'm obviously working with non musical people who have ideas that they'd like to see reflected in the work. And so the trick is getting their ideas together and figuring out how to make them work in a piece of music. Uh, and to find the right way to communicate that with you so that we end up with the right project because they'll give me ideas that are non-musical or they'll say these are our goals and objectives and this is what we need to have a, be a part of the lyric or the mm -hmm. or the, the music itself uh, but they won't be able to do more than that maybe a reference yeah but and that's, that's very that's very typical i often get that even from believe it or not 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 as often but even from some artists who can't articulate in musical terms what they really want 
And mm -hmm. so I do the same thing you do. I have to be a translator, which I consider a really important part of my job is translating the general, no, I don't like that. It sounds too heavy. Okay. <laughs> so, well, you know, and that's okay. And I always tell people, use the words that make sense to you. Don't worry right. about the music words. Use the words that make sense to you and I will figure it out. And I do eventually figure it out and explain to the engineer, oh, there's too much low end. There's too much low mids in the bass and it's muddy. We need to thin that out. We need to, and my engineer is very good at translating too, but that's a big part of it. You're good as gold. Mm -hmm. Good as gold. Tell us who your, your music inspirations are. Love to know Boy, who inspires you. Oh my gosh. So many. So, 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 so many. Uh, where do I begin? Singers. Billie Holiday. <sighs> yes. Crazy love for Billie Holiday. Right there with you. And her picture's in the background. You, I don't know if you can see that, but that mm -hmm. is- Oh Yeah. That is a print of Billie Holiday at the Blue Note in Los Angeles. And right next to her is Count Basie at the Blue Note in New York. Love, love the old school jazz icons. Uh, Duke Ellington, Count Basie. Um, I'm trying to think in terms of producers, Quincy Jones, my gosh. Mm. What an amazing musician and talent and producer that genius of a guy has been his whole life. Oh my gosh. So he's a huge inspiration. Um, I'm trying to think of other singers. I mean, you know, there are some great singers that kind of come and go more current people that I like. There was a singer a few years back, a British gal named Imogen Heap, who produced all her own stuff and had this amazing voice. And she engineered all her own stuff and played guitar and mixed it. And she was truly really amazing and i really liked her stuff um but i love like the the classic sarah vaughn etta james billy holiday i mean those ladies know how to sing a song yeah. and what are you what are your feelings about uh contemporary music and what's popular contemporary popular music well i think some of it is crap <laughs> And I mean, it's some of it is, that's just my opinion, but actually some of it, you know, I came a long way of not being able to understand or really get into like hip hop music or anything of that nature. And some of it is really well produced. There's pop hip hop crossover stuff and dance stuff. I have an amazing collaborator now who was up in LA for a long time. He just moved to Baton Rouge, but we do everything virtually, so who cares? Um, and he's an amazing Greg Allen programmer. He comes from a dance music, electronic music and hip hop background, that's his thing. And a lot of really, there's a lot of fusion and hybridy mm -hmm. stuff in the pop world. Like hip hop has, has infused everything. There's mm -hmm. hip hop drums and everything. Mm -hmm. And I have to even say like Billie Eilish, I think she's kind of cool. I like yes. I like her delivery is very unique and, and intimate and very interesting. That James Bond theme that she did, 
was really cool. It was an inspiration for a recent project that I did with my team. Um, freaks me out that my nine-year-old son listens to Billie Eilish songs, but hey, uh, <laughs> that's a parental concern. That's not a musical concern. <laughs> well, there could there is much worse. Much. Yes. Much. Yeah, there is much worse. Yeah. Uh, that's why I wanted to ask you the question as somebody who's musical, because, I, you know, this is so cliche, but I remember older people saying when I was a kid, ah, this is crap. They don't make music like they used to. And my goodness, I just can't help but feel the same thing now that I'm <laughs> older. And it makes me feel like an old man, but geez. No, some of it, some of it I don't love, but I really appreciate, I mean, for example, Mark Ronson, who's done a lot of Bruno Mars production, freaking amazing. He's another inspiration as a producer. Mm -hmm. That guy's amazing. And the combination of like hip hop elements and funk elements is so fun and so cool. I mean, that's fun stuff. It is fun stuff. I yeah. can't, I can't disagree with you. It's fun. Say, it's oh, I'm sorry, Anthony. No, go ahead. Go ahead. It, it, it's kind of fun being a parent to a teenager because I listen to a lot of more current music through her filter. So there's a difference of appreciation that I have now that I didn't have six or seven years ago mm -hmm. because she's very musical. Well, she was in studio with you. She's very musical. Yep. She sings beautifully. And so we actually talk about it and I'm able to see it in a different way, which is, it's a, it makes it a lot more fun. And so I have a whole different uh, appreciation of, of hip hop, hip hop and rap and things that I, I didn't necessarily have five years ago that I have now. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I mean, my son is nine, but he listens to music like a teenager would. I mean, we have parental control, so he has to download the clean version right into his iTunes. We don't let him download the ones with F-bombs all over the place. Although as Anthony knows, I might have dropped a couple of F-bombs. Just career. a few. One off, or two. Off mic. All only, yes. But yeah, it's fun to get to listen to stuff that way. I mean, I would say really the only kind of music that I cannot quite get my head around is the super heavy metal where the singer is literally screaming mm -hmm. at the microphone. I can't get it. I can't. Can't. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I agree. And I guess I am an old fuddy duddy because I, I, I don't have any issue with lyrics that are expressive and meaningful, but I, I do. And if, if it necessitates getting nasty in the lyric because of that, I can appreciate it. But I hear so much that just completely turns me off that is not musical. Yeah. Um, you know, and I just want to, yesterday I was walking the dog and out of somebody's car, I heard uh, something about her being really hot. I stuck my finger in her. Hello. Well, that's nice. Yeah. That's what I heard coming out of the car. Very musically. sweet. It's like, that's yeah. so nice. I was, <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> but can you remember the melody? No, I can't. No, <laughs> but the lyric is right there. Yeah. The lyric is right there. Well, I'm actually uh, working on a really cool project with an artist and who's become a really good friend, Stephanie Robles, who you may have met. I'm not sure, Anthony, I think possibly. Maybe. Um, 
Stephanie started actually doing music with me 10 years ago. She works for Sharp Healthcare. And I, I, did, music, I did music for the Sharp Experience for like 10 years in a row. And, we and did, we, did we record together? We did something yeah. for, for them. Yeah. Very short. I want to say it was Wizard of Ozzy, but I oh, could we did. Yes. Okay. You and Leonard. Right. So yeah. yeah. So she's become a great friend, and I've done her personal album projects for years, and she always is doing different genres, which is very fun. And she brought me last year a symphonic metal project of original songs, and she's a great writer. That helps. Her melodies are great. Her lyrics are amazing. She has an amazing voice, big old, like a Winona Judd voice, big old voice. And I wasn't sure. I'm like, Steph, you know, the metal thing isn't really my bag. And she's like, yeah, I know, but I, I really want you to try and see if we can work on this together. And it's, I've kind of come slowly to embrace this music because the material, the, the, the lyrics and melodies are really great, but they're just big, bombastic, detuned guitars, but there's symphonic elements. I'm doing big strings and stuff like that. It, we're actually mixing one of those this afternoon. So it's been very fun, something different. So where, where will you keep your focus on a piece like that? What's, in, what's uh, important? You know, I know my limitations. I think that's important. Um, is that I know that I don't do a lot of that kind of music. And so she provided mixed references to the engineer in that same genre. And he goes by those mixed references as far as like, well, the vocal sits further back than it would in a pop tune. The guitar's mm -hmm. almost as loud or louder than the lead vocal in this style. And so, I, I mean, I'm musical. I know if something is whack in the frequency spectrum or if I want to suggest an effect to be put on something but the overall I really let her and her drummer who's the you know metal guy make the final like are you happy with where the vocal's sitting are you guys good and I don't try to be an authority on something I'm not which I'm clearly not on symphonic metal so well who is <laughs> more they are more than I am <laughs> It's curious. I, I'm curious to know if it will be more palatable, symphonically uh, speaking. It's, it's pretty cool. It's actually pretty cool. I mean, her voice is great, which I, I like everything she sings, so that helps. Well, I think that, you know, the thing that I personally find uh, difficult with metal is the shredding and the noise yeah. factor, and yeah. it just starts to feel like mud. Yeah. So... I'm assuming that symphonic, a symphonic version of metal wouldn't have such low uh, intensity, but maybe I'm wrong. I'll have to send it to you when we finish the mix and you can tell me. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. I'm so, it's very, no, I'm very curious. curious. Yeah. Yeah. It's we'll very it. sort of European sounding. Apparently synth metal is much bigger over there. Interesting. So, yeah. Yes. Interesting. Please share it with us. Yep. And if, if the listeners are interested and we can we share with them or do we have to hold off? We got to hold off until Miss Stephanie is ready to release, but she's thinking about releasing the ones we've finished as singles instead of waiting until the whole collection is done. So I can send you a link if she decides to release the singles. That's beautiful. Is she is she making money on these projects? 
You know, that's a good question. She sells her CDs. She gigs. Well, her she has a full time regular day job working for Sharp. Mm -hmm. Music is her passion, and she play she sings and plays in several bands. Um, she's selling her CDs, so I know she's making some money from her product because she sells them at gigs. Um, and she's trying to license her songs, but she's not depending on this as her main income stream. As right. long as she's funding her creative process, I think she's happy. That's great. That's great. I wondered what her uh, her ultimate goal would be, you know, because it's expensive. It's, it is. It's yeah. time consuming, as you mentioned. Uh, and there there's a very small chance I would assume that you're going to become wealthy producing an album yeah. or two no right yeah that that's probably not especially anymore because of the record industry just isn't what it was right Things are very different so yeah you sort of have to redefine <laughs> what do you mean by wealthy and what you know really why I, I by no means do I make an extravagant living doing what I do I do very well. I know there are a lot of people that would give their right arm to be able mm -hmm. to do what I do. And I don't take that for granted, mm -hmm. but I decided a long time ago, I've been in this work for a long, long time. And I tell, cause I have taken on interns. I speak to arranging and production classes at trade schools. I do all kinds of stuff where I try to give back to kids coming into the industry. And I tell them it took at least 12 to 15 years before I made enough money really doing music to live on. And I had like a side hustle as a PR and media relations person. I did that freelance for a long time. Um, it's really hard and it takes a long time to get established. I mean, now, of course, especially since my royalty income has built up, it's much better. But this is, I decided a long time ago that I loved this and I was willing to make whatever the sacrifices were that were necessary to do what I loved and what I feel my gifts and talents are. Mm. And uh, you, you really did hit a home run when you made this decision, <laughs> because uh, to your point, you are very successful and you're great to work with. And you're just looking at your resume, all the things that you've done that we haven't even mentioned, like uh, working with Kenny Rogers, Jewel, uh, Michael Bolton, uh, work, have you have music playing at Legoland's Private Shores attraction yep. on the Odyssey TV network, uh, Warner Brothers films? I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, you're you're the you're the person people have heard but don't know. Pretty much, the person people have heard but don't know. Which is uh, fine with me. I always said, send me the check. I don't care if well, you know who right, I am. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes when kids are watching the TV, programs may be too grown up to see. Think twice and take some good advice from me. Now there's technology to block out any show that you want to. Here's all you have to do. Well, what's so, so beautiful is that you have all the passion without and all the talent and all the love without the ego. Uh, like I said, I don't feel like the ideas come from me. That makes it a lot easier to keep the ego thing in check. It's like they mm -hmm. come through me. And if I start thinking I'm really, I'll refrain, brilliant. but if I start <laughs> thinking I'm a little too brilliant, I start getting in my own way. 
and I start blocking the really great flow and the great creative ideas. That was as a younger producer, I think that was one of the hardest things for me to learn is I had such a tight control on the idea that I wanted to create that I didn't make room for other people's. And when I finally relaxed and got a little bit older and had been doing it for a long time, I realized it's really okay if my idea takes a big left turn because the drummer and the bass player have another thought, it might end up better. So mm -hmm. that, you know, the ego thing, it's like, as soon as that starts getting too much in the room, it really throws off the creative process. And I just, it's not good. That's a really great, great key point to make, uh, especially when you're creating and you're creating with people. I heard somebody give a speech probably 10 years ago who said, rule number one, don't marry your ideas, date them. Uh, and that. that's exactly what you're doing, right? You're not sticking to one thing so, so strenuously that nothing else can get through. And yeah. I, I've seen that happen. People just get so tied into one idea that they lose so much more. Well, I used so, to, when I was a younger producer, I definitely used to, but in time, I think I sort of figured it out. Um, and also, you know, starting out as an early, I was like 24 when I started producing sessions and I was producing all guys that were like 10 years older than I was. And they wow. did not like having some little blonde girl tell them what to play and do. Right. And it took a while for me to sort of grow into this job. I feel like when I turned 40, I finally kind of grew into this job. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of have the mom approach in the studio. I'm kind of like producer mom, <laughs> which works. <laughs> yeah, right? it does. It does That's work. I think the growth comes out of a willingness to listen and learn, uh, as you pointed out earlier. Otherwise, you'd still be married to those ideas, right? You, you at some point became very aware that that wasn't working for you. Yeah, so totally you agree. To, right, you needed to change your protocols and the way that you handle things. Quick, funny story um, about that really quick. I often use voice dictation and Siri on my iPhone when I'm writing lyrics, right? Because it just helps me keep track mm -hmm. of my ideas. And Siri auto-corrected a lyric and it ended up being better. <laughs> so I used it. <laughs> now, did you give Siri credit? No, that's it. And, do, and does Siri get royalties? <laughs> no, Siri gets plenty of royalties. That's <laughs> right. She doesn't need my royalty. That's right. That's right. Dang it. Hey, how about we, uh, before we let you go, we play a little game with you. I hope you sure. don't mind. Great. Uh, it's a little this or that. And uh, we, we like to play it with our guests at, before we end a program. Uh, so basically, uh, I'll ask you whether you like this or that. And you tell us which one you like. And you get to give us a neither or a both. Oh. One, you get one of each. Okay. And there are 10 questions. You get a neither or both within the 10 questions. But only, only one once. time. Okay. Only once, okay. okay. So uh, we'll just start with chocolate or strawberry? Chocolate. Thank God, I, I just, I was so nervous you were gonna no, say no. strawberry and then I it would know, be no. over. Well, no, no. you just have to hit no, the no. button, it'd be done. Yeah. Okay, God bless that, exactly. Uh, okay, you mentioned them, Bach or Bartok? 
Bartok's a wacko. <laughs> I was gonna. <laughs> I was gonna ask you <laughs> just a little. I was gonna ask you Mozart or Beethoven, but then the wacko thing goes out the window. They're both wacko. Mozart, right? <laughs> Mozart. Okay. Melody or harmony? Ooh. Ooh. How many questions have you asked me so far? That's number three. Oh, geez. Melody. That's tough. I know. I know. I know. I know. Uh, spring or fall? Spring. Comedy or drama? Comedy. Wine or beer? Oh, wine. Hmm, I wasn't sure. Uh, jazz or classical? Jazz. Trouble or bass, Clef? Ooh, both. That's going to be my both. There you got. You got your both. Good, good, good. So you waited. You didn't blow your wad. Good nope. for you. Uh, live performances or recording sessions? Ah. Oh. For me or to watch, to participate or to uh, watch? How about to participate, live performances or recording sessions? Sessions, I hate performing live, I suck. And then to watch live performances or recording sessions? Sessions. Yeah, right, those could be really cool. They could also be really long, but they could <laughs> be cool. Okay, and then last one, Sinatra or Bennett? Oh, damn it. Oh, come I, already, on. I already used the both, but okay, Sinatra. Wow, I thought for sure you'd say Tony. I, I have to say, I thought for sure you'd say. Yeah. Sorry, baby, I'm a Sinatra fan. Part wow. Four. Well, hey, listen, there there are millions. Yeah, of, so I have to ask reason. you a question. Yeah, young Sinatra or older Sinatra, because those voices are very different. I already said both. I like both. I like. This is a this is a completely yeah. new question, so you can say both you again. Can say both. This the is not part both. Right, both. Yeah, I like the I like the younger stuff a little bit better. I must say. Yeah. He, what I didn't care for so much was the changing of lyrics. He did a lot of that. Did he I could, modify? I'm, oh yeah, I think what happened was he just got so tired of the songs that he just started finding ways to make them new yeah. for himself. Rewrote them. Yeah. And so, you know, the chick uh, gets hungry, you know, I mean, he would just do small things oh, like yeah. that, you yeah, know, yeah. changes like that. That's not one that's specific, but that's how he would sort of change the tunes, the, the, the lyrics a bit. Uh, and I could, I guess as a performer, I could understand having to sing those songs. My way was the song he hated to sing most. Really? And the song that was requested most of him. So, really? Oh, poor guy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, it's, it's sort of a, uh, that's what happens in, the, it's a career, what do they call it, a career uh, tragedy or issue, you know, yeah. you got to deal with it. When you, when you have a pop song or a song that people love, you got to sing it. You got to sing it people all the time. Yep. Right. right. And it's that's still inspiring happens. people. Ileana sang that song about a year and a half ago. She was asked to sing somewhere. That was the song she chose to sing. Wow. You're talking about the ladies of tramp? No, uh, uh, my way. Oh, my way. Yeah, it's still inspiring people. What do you think of the song, Marty? Uh, well, I, that song has a special spot in my heart because my husband's grandmother passed away a number of years ago, and his stepdad asked me to play that song, and he sang it at her memorial service because she loved that song. So I, I can't. Uh completely detached from that memory, which was kind of special. Well, there's your point, Alex, about, you know, mm -hmm. 
what happens with a song and how important they come to they become to people mm -hmm. uh, very well. Well, Miss Marty Amato, that's the end of this Delightful. beautiful interview. Thank you for joining us. I know you have a busy day. You have a session and a son to pick up. Yep. So uh, we'll let you go, but I hope that we get to work together again soon. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon. And it's always, always, always a pleasure. I feel the exact same way. And I hope you will play one of my, one of my upbeat tunes on the way out of the show. Oh, they're going to hear, they're going to hear your tunes for sure. So right on. we'll give them an upbeat one as we leave. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, having thank me. You. So fun. Thank you for joining us and uh, keep writing, keep composing. You got we'll it. We'll come back with, with more to do for sure. Love it. So it's so great to have uh, Marty with us. What a talented individual. I'm still kicking myself for saying BMA. I don't know where that came from. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll accept your, your excuse for me. Thank you. I was just, I was running into ASCAP and it just got caught in my brain, uh, BMI or ASCAP. I thought it was really interesting to talk about her music libraries because dealing with BMI and ASCAP, she's absolutely right. It's very difficult. Uh, CSAC is a third one, but as I believe most of the composers are out of Europe for CSAC, uh, but interesting, nonetheless, that there are other royalty-based music libraries out there to use in the event world. So it's great to learn that and to talk with her. And uh, well, that's about all we have. How about some, some final thoughts from you, Miss Alex? Today was uh, an education for me. Uh, I always learn things from our guests. And um, I learned a lot from Ms. Marty today. And um excited about what I learned, but also uh, feel like based on this interview, I want to give Ileana some thoughts for some directions for her musical career. She's She's got her academic life that she wants to pursue, but she also wants to pursue a musical career. And I kind of feel like with tutelage, if she were able to find someone like Marty, that that could be something really fun for her. I think it's a good point. Uh, you know, we get so uh, blindsided by fame and the idea of being a you know rock star or pop singer, but there are other avenues in which to make money being a musician. And she, Marty, found hers. And uh, I, I always tell young people who play an instrument, focus on that because you could make money while you're in college. You could make money, you know, while you're pursuing something else, playing the piano or playing an instrument in a group, just playing background music. You make a lot more than you will, you know, serving up burgers. So it's definitely, there's definitely other options out there mm -hmm. for musicians and artists. It, it's not fame or nothing. That's a beautiful way to say it. Yeah, I think that's how we think about it, especially when we're young. And, and then, you know, as we mature and we, we realize the, the pressures of reality and uh, we, we, we succumb to them and we realize that that's not going to be, that's not the path I'm going to be able to take. So, you know, I'll do something else entirely. Well, here's something that is not something else entirely. It's, it's within the same 
field. It's mm -hmm. just focused a bit differently. Like what yeah, we I wish do. I had met Amarty Amato when I was younger. Yes, yes, yes. I, I'm sure she's a remarkable lady and she does do very well. And I, I wanted to point out something as well to the planners. We, we uh, do good work as creatives by asking the right questions. And that becomes difficult sometimes for planners to deal with because there are so many questions that we will put out in order to create something. Marty is the same way in her business. In order for her to do to, to, to come up with a piece of music if she's writing something original that's going to fit the bill, she's got to ask a lot of questions up front and you've got to be prepared to answer those questions. And if you're not, you have to be prepared to get the answers to those questions or you won't end up with the right piece at the end of the day. And that's a, a point I felt really necessary to make here because we get so tied up when we're working with clients and getting things to them in a timely fashion that we don't always do the necessary work and answer the right questions or ask the right questions. And in this case, it's absolutely necessary. You must ask the right questions to be able to give the client something they want at the end of the day. You have to answer those questions. You have to take the time to do so. So it's a, it's a very important point. If you're not willing to, then, then doing something custom is likely not the way you should go because there is a lot of thought that's put into this, a lot of thought to make it work. All right, well, that's it. Uh, thank you, Marty. Thank you, Alex. That's the end of this program. Uh, we are so delighted to have you here. Listen, if you, if you like this podcast, please give us five stars on uh, iTunes. Uh, find us wherever you find your podcast. Please subscribe to us. That would be also very delightful. Let your friends know about us. And if you have a question or a comment about the show, just go to bolada.com and look for the podcast tab. Uh, all right, we'll see you next time. That's it for us here. Bye-bye. Say goodbye, Alex. Bye, darling. Bye, darling. Thank you.